The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. Emails, throw them at us. We'll get to them this hour. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And we'll get to an amazing tool called the Injury Calculator after we get through a, uh, a few things uh, on the show today. Savannah, we always start with the week that was. A look back at some cases that have come across the, uh, the firm and you've dealt with. Yeah, That's right, John. Mm-hmm. Very interesting cases. Let me start off with a question that was posed to me on a long-term disability case. And this is the email that I got. What do you recommend in a situation where someone has been advised to not return to work but has participated in a gradual return to work program and seems to be doing uh, seems to be doing it just fine but is clearly fatigued and working through pain? Their doctor supports their absence from work. So remember, John, and we're going to cover this later on in the show, this idea of going back to work, not going back to work, trying no. to go back, not trying to go back, the pros and the cons. Here's where I stand on this, and this is in contrast with many other lawyers, whether they're on the plaintiff side or the defense side. Uh, My view is this. If you are injured or disabled, the question as to whether or not you should go back to work or participate in a return to work program is contingent on two things. Number one, do you feel that you can do it, you yourself? Mm -hmm. Number two, do your doctors uh, support your going back to work or do they not support it? And as far as I'm concerned, if you are working with pain, you're fatigued and in a way it's working against you, especially when your own doctors are saying, don't go back to work, you're going to make things worse. And I've had these kinds of clients, right? I call them super uh, clients and they go back to work for a variety of reasons. They go back because they need the money and they simply are willing to put their health first. Uh, uh, s- sorry, put their financial health first, right? right? The, the financial health of their family first, even though it's literally killing them. Uh, and, and of course, then you have people who uh, just go back to work because they just don't understand that there is a limit to what their bodies can take. So, you know, in, in a case like this where someone seems to be doing okay, but they're fatigued, listen. I would tell them, if you can do it, then do it, right? If you can work, then work. It's just that simple. If your doctors, though, are telling you, be careful, be careful. You are going to make things worse. Exacerbate. Exacerbate. I've seen it. On, on countless occasions where people have done that against their doctor's advice. Sometimes the doctors are wrong, obviously. Doctors are humans. But sometimes people just don't realize what the limits are, and they go back to work, and then a month passes, two months pass, and the situation is much, much worse. Yeah. So if before they were able to go back to work, you know, in a matter of a few months after some rehab, perhaps, now because they push their limits, they are now going to be off work for a very long period of time. And how does that affect the case? Well, listen... If you try to go back to work, let's let's assume we're dealing with a long-term disability case. You mm-hmm. try to go back and you failed in that attempt, legitimately failed. You just, you can't do it. Well, then, then your case is that much stronger because the insurance company cannot come back and say, you did not even try, right? You didn't mitigate. try to mitigate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you haven't tried at all, they're going to say, well, how do you know that you can't? Well, the answer to that is, I know that I can't because I know my own body and plus my own doctors are telling me I cannot do it. Right. So that's an interesting situation we dealt with. Okay, what else you got? Uh, let me tell you about uh, a, a lady that contacted us. This was a slip and fall that occurred uh, this past October. She fell down the stairs, outdoor stairs, which were made of interlock and cement. Uh, it, it was uh, in Caledon, and she tripped due to gaps between the tiles that were on the stairs. Now, of course, you know, when I get something like this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I'm trying to get a visual picture here. Well, luckily, she took some photographs. Nice. Very, very important. I can't even tell you how important that is because just describing the issue may not, 
give me enough information to tell you you have a case. Uh, but once I see the photographs and I see that there is a defect, whether it's a structural defect, it's a wear and tear, whatever it is mm-hmm. that has caused the hazard, then I can properly advise this lady that she has a case. Uh, she went uh, and had x-rays done, which determined that she had at least five broken ribs. She had cuts, bruises, and scrapes. Uh, she missed five weeks of work so far, and she's uh, still off. And her doctors prescribed painkillers, obviously. She's she's 55. Uh, she's a teacher. And, of course, her question is, what can I do about this? Yeah. Well, again, it's it's extremely important that if this happens to you, you don't just simply wait a month, two months, five months, a year before contacting me. Do it immediately. Go and get photographs immediately. If you didn't get them at the time of the fall because clearly you're very injured, get someone else to go there immediately. Because you know why, John? These kinds of defects they get repaired. That's and right. once they get repaired, it's your word against theirs. Now, of course, listen, we're going to have documentation that shows that there were repairs done. And then you can create or, or uh, draw an inference. Well, if repairs were done, clearly there was a defect. Uh, yes and no. But it's harder. It's harder, yeah. right? Because you don't know the extent of the defect, the extent of the wear and tear. Very important to get some photographs. So this lady did the exact right thing, and we're going to be able to help her. Got anything else? Yeah. Tons, right? More. Look at you. All right. Let's go through these. So this is a car accident case. So this individual was in a car accident uh, back in March of this year. He was a pedestrian uh, walking oh. across an intersection. We've talked about those uh, quite a lot in recent shows. We're going to see more and more of these, unfortunately, yep. as uh, winter progresses. Uh, so in any event, he had the right of way. He was walking on a crosswalk. And while he was walking, a truck proceeded making a right-hand turn at a red light and hit him. Uh, now, here's the interesting thing, unfortunately for this gentleman. As the truck hit him uh, and, and he was falling down, he actually grabbed the bumper of the truck and was dragged about Come half on. a kilometer. Right? It's one of those things that you see in the movies, right? So this is a pretty bad uh, situation. The truck finally stopped after the, after the driver was flagged down by, uh, by bystanders. Uh, the police were called. The driver was charged clearly with careless driving. And this individual was taken to the hospital by ambulance. He had uh, road burns, as you can imagine. Uh, he had no internal injuries, amazingly, but he had to spend the night at the hospital because the doctors were afraid um, that he, he suffered a concussion. Right. Now, he's currently still suffering from his injuries, despite the fact that this happened back in March. And, of course, you can understand why. This is pretty severe. Uh, so, so, you know, he had uh, a skin graft on his leg. Uh, he missed uh, so far seven months from work. Now, he just returned back to work this past October. And this is interesting. His doctor recommended that he return back to work on modified uh, duties. Yep. But his workplace would not accommodate him. Mm-hmm. And so, again, why am I raising this case because oftentimes we see situations where people are injured, whether it's a trip and fall, slip and fall, car accident, and then we have these employment issues that come up. And that's the beauty of our practice is that we have this uh, 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 joint uh, cooperation between the lawyers that do uh, employment work, right, under Lior's uh, supervision. And then we have, of course, my group that does the personal injury. And it's so crucial to make sure that both groups work together because we can advance both claims and protect the individual under both uh, uh, scenarios. We'll take a a short break. In the meantime, the number is 416-216-5910. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a couple more week that was cases and right on into the injury calculator with the insurance and injury law show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910. 
416-216-5910. That's the number you'll want to use anytime. Emails are help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the injury calculator here in just a few moments. So we're talking about the week that was in some cases. Interesting ones so far that have uh, come by your desk. Yeah, very interesting. Again, it's always very difficult to choose uh, the cases because there's just so many and so many varied circumstances. I'm trying to pick the ones where I can draw out lessons so that the listeners can learn from these situations in the event that they find themselves in that position uh, or if they know someone uh, that would benefit. So this is another long-term disability case. This individual received a letter from the insurance company and get this, the adjuster is saying that she's going to be cut off LTD in June of 2017. It's a little forecasting. Yeah, it is, exactly. (laughs) Now, she's been on LTD uh, since May of 2015. She contracted some kind of a virus while on vacation. I can't even pronounce the name of this virus. Uh, Chikungunya virus, whatever that is. (laughs) It does. Sounds pretty bad. Uh, And this was back in November 2014. Now, Prior to going on vacation, she suffered from a tear in her left shoulder, carpal tunnel, arthritis, and once she contracted, all three became worse and she required surgery on both her hands and her shoulder. So she's in bad shape. Her doctor attempted to clear her to return to work, interestingly. However, when she met with the company's doctor, Mm. it was determined that uh, she was not treated properly and was sent to the Tropical Disease Center at uh, Toronto General hospital. And from there, she was referred to a specialist. Now, insurance company wants her family doctor to complete forms to provide an assessment on her return to work uh, and is also required to complete some forms tracking her day-to-day activities. So the reason she contacted us is, is first of all, because she wanted our help in completing these forms. That's yep. okay. That's, that's fine. Uh, but uh, more to the point, she's very concerned that the insurance company is telling her, we're going to cut you off as of June of next year. Right. And this is not uncommon for insurance companies to send you a letter or to give you a call and tell you, we are going to be cutting you off for reason X, Y, or Z. Heads up. Heads up, exactly. And what happens? Most people panic. And one of two things happen when they panic. Either they bury their heads in the sand, they simply wait until they're cut off, and then they just don't do anything about that. Or uh, they start fighting the insurance company. They're trying to you know, put up this huge fight to try and avoid the cutoff. And it's like a moving train. You're not going to avoid it, okay? Standing in the middle of the tracks is not going to avoid. Right. You're going to get hit by this moving train, this insurance company force that's saying, we're going to cut you off whether or not you give us, you know, these forms. And so what I recommend to people is that if you're facing that kind of a situation, give me a call. Email me. Go on the disability website that you're going to talk about soon. And just ask your question because I can tell you in a few minutes, just by assessing your case, asking a few questions whether or not the cutoff that's coming, this train that's coming, whether or not uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a valid cutoff. And oftentimes, it's not a valid cutoff. And frankly, I don't understand why the insurance company is telling her that in June of next year, we're talking about, what, seven, eight months from now? Yeah. That they're going to They don't know what condition she's going to be in. Maybe they can forecast based on the doctor's letters, you know, we think you're going to get better. Okay, so then wait for another three, four, five, six months right. and evaluate at that point. Why are you telling her now you're going to cut her off except that you want to push her to the workplace, whether she's ready or not. So don't be intimidated by these kinds of letters. Don't be intimidated by insurance companies telling you, as a matter of fact, that come this date, we're going to cut you off. You're going to have to go back to work because you know what? 
that's that's just an intimidation tactic. It doesn't mean that, in fact, you have no rights. In fact, most times, uh, you know, we're able to stop the the train in, in its tracks. But you happens. just have to know how to do it. That's yeah. all. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You got one more before we uh, carry on. Are we all done? Actually, we're all done, Excellent. John. Excellent. All right. We'll move on to the injury calculator. This is simple. Injurycalculator.ca. Give me some details how it works. All right. It's a beautiful online tool. We created it uh, with my team about a year and a half ago. And what it is, is it allows people who have been injured through no fault of their own, so in a car accident, trip and fall, yep. slip and fall, go on this free online tool and input a few key pieces of information, your age, where the injury happened, the type of injury you suffered, the extent of the injury, mm-hmm. right? You have back pain. Well, what happened? Did you tear something? Did you break your back? Right. Just a sprain. What happened? It takes you literally 15, 20, 25 seconds to go through the menus and just click uh, the appropriate information. And then what happens is that the program goes through a database that we had inputted into it. And, and it, it tells you that based on a survey of Canadian cases across the country, based on the facts you've inputted, this is the range of pain and suffering damages you can look to, to recover uh, that's owed to you if you, in fact, decide to start a claim. So if you broke your ankle uh, because somebody neglected to put salt on the sidewalk right. uh, and, and you slipped and fell, uh, then, you know, if you go through that uh, uh, online tool, it will tell you that, you know, here is the range, whether it's 30 to 40,000, 40 to 50,000, depending on the extent of the injury. And again, we've talked about this before. It's only about pain and exactly. suffering. Very, very important. You can have a case where the pain and suffering component of the claim is the smallest or one of the smallest parts of the claim. You know, you can have an injury that's quote unquote worth $30,000, but you can't work to the same extent you could before. And now you're losing 10, 20, 30 grand a year for the next 10 years which translates into a hundred, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of income loss. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive, exactly. But at least this tool allows you to at least get a starting point, figure out, well, how much pain and suffering damages am I potentially owed as a result of my injury? And pain and suffering again is the small component. That's the little one. Well, yeah. it's not little. It, it depends Let's not on the say case. It's little, but it's it's not it's not like the rest of your case possibly could be, right? Oh, a hundred percent. I've had yeah. cases where you know the pain and suffering component was worth, let's say, $75,000. But because of the other categories of damages, the case was valued at $750,000. And remember, uh, you know, when you go on that little program and you input all the information, I don't get any of that. The only time that I get contacted directly is if at the end, after you get the result, you click on the button that says, I would like to consult with Sivan. And if you click on that, then I get the information. Otherwise, it's as though you've never been there. Yeah. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce right over to an email uh, as soon as we come back with more of the show. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one from Laura here. says, uh, how soon after a car accident can I start a claim against the driver that caused the accident? My paralegal is telling me that I should wait at least a year, if not more, and I haven't been able to go back to work for the last 10 months because of my injuries. Well, Laura, first of all, let's backtrack a bit. The fact that you have a paralegal dealing with the claim, I'm surmising from that that the paralegal is dealing with the accident benefits portion of your claim. Remember, whenever you're in a car accident and someone is at fault and you're injured, 
you're going to have both an accident benefits claim with your own insurance company and a potential tort claim, a claim for pain and suffering and other types of damages from the at fault. No, a paralegal cannot do that kind of a claim. That's advanced in superior court. Uh, and what a paralegal often does is they monitor and, and they uh, deal with the acts and benefits, and that's fine. That's standard. We have very qualified paralegals at our firm. They do the exact same thing. Uh, but the advice, Laura, that this paralegal is giving you is incorrect. This idea that you have to wait at least a year uh, before starting yeah. a claim, that's wrong. And the reason why that's wrong is because not every case is the same. I mean, think about it. It's just common sense. In some cases, you have someone who just has aches and pains after an accident. So you think to yourself, okay, well, maybe they'll get better after a few months, perhaps a year. You know, maybe they'll go back to the way that they were, in which case it makes no sense to start that claim under our law against the at-fault driver. But what happens if you have someone who, you know, has all these broken bones or a concussion? You know, in this case, Laura, uh, you're talking about not being back to work uh, for 10 months now. I mean, that tells me that the claim is fairly serious. And, you know, the longer you wait to start a claim, the longer it's going to take to settle your claim, right? Just think about it. If it takes, uh, I don't know, a year to settle a claim or two years or three years, every month you add to that by not starting the claim is another month it's going to take you to resolve the claim down the road. So very important not to treat every case the exact same way. Every case is fact-specific. And Laura, what I would suggest is that you speak with with a lawyer or, or with the paralegal just to understand a little bit more about why it is that this paralegal is telling you that you should be waiting. Because if you haven't worked for 10 months, no. No, I usually look at that as an indicator uh, very, very quickly, very early on, if a person cannot go back to work, that there is something more severe at play here and we should start the claim sooner rather than later. 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for contact anytime with some. And so get to an email from Sergey in Thornhill says, I was in a car accident four years ago and nothing is happening with my, four years ago, nothing's happening with my case. My lawyer is very hard to reach. No kidding. Uh, how long should it take before they resolve the case? Yeah, you know, four years. I'll, t- I'll tell you, John, I- I've seen uh, cases go on for years and years, and, not my cases, but cases go on years yeah. and years and years. When I was doing defense work, Oftentimes, in some of the defense firms, there'll be a lot of movement. You know, defense lawyers would be moving from firm to firm. So I would inherit files. And some of these files that I would inherit, you know, they would drag on for five, six, seven, eight years. That's crazy. It's insane. And oftentimes, it's not because my predecessors didn't try to push the file along. It's because the plaintiff lawyers were simply not doing anything and not being responsive. And in this case, Sergey, seems like you're saying your own lawyer is very hard to reach. Well, let me put it this way to you. If you can't reach your lawyer... Maybe the defense lawyer can't reach your lawyer. Maybe the court can't reach your lawyer, right? That's the problem. It's that these cases just sit on a shelf somewhere and these lawyers are just doing nothing for it. Now, listen, some cases are complicated. Some cases have uh, multiple uh, issues happening. Maybe there's multiple plaintiffs. Maybe you're talking about three, four, five car collisions. So there's multiple claims. So you have to make sure that everything is moving in the same direction at the same time. But oftentimes, no, it should not be taking four years to resolve a case. I know that with a lot of people out there, their experience has been very negative because it's been taking such a long time. You know, Lior talks a lot about that as well on the Employment Hour, uh, how how quickly we resolve employment disputes. And I say the same thing with long-term disability disputes, slip and fall. Mm-hmm. I was in a mediation a few weeks ago uh, and, uh, you know, the mediator there commented 
on the case that I was handling that he called it a baby case because it, it took such such a quick amount of time right. to get to where it was where oftentimes he's seeing these kinds of claims uh, drag on and on. So my point is to people out there, if you have an ongoing case or you know someone that has an ongoing case, if they have difficulty reaching their lawyers, chances are the other people involved in the claim, the defense lawyers, the insurance companies, chances are those people are also having difficulties reaching that lawyer. And that's a red flag. Isn't, it, isn't that preferred or doesn't that play to the advantage of the insurance company if something goes four years and doesn't get resolved? You know well, I mean? it, it does. It does uh, for a very simple reason because if at the end of the day you're going to get a settlement for $100,000, well, that's $100,000 you, John, deserved and did not have uh, and ought to have received years ago. And that money just sat there at the bank account belonging to the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're using that money. So the interest is accruing. Right. And the interest that they potentially may end up paying you at the end is nothing compared to uh, the benefit that they have by not having to pay that money out. So yes, as far as I'm concerned, insurance companies uh, basically have a field day with all this money that's just lying around that they're not paying out yeah. because uh, plaintiff lawyers are simply not taking advantage of the system and moving the cases forward. And there are ways to move these claims forward much faster than they usually are being moved. So what's the best way to get a hold of that lawyer? Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the best ways to uh, uh, communicate uh, by writing, in writing, such as an email saying, look, I haven't been able to reach you for X amount of time. I've been trying to call, email, fax perhaps, perhaps even walk to your office. Yeah. I'd like a response from you. I want to sit down with you uh, by no later than, you know, let's say the end of November of this year. And if I don't get uh, answers, give them a deadline and say, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to file a complaint, whatever. Look, filing a complaint against a lawyer, oftentimes, how does that advance your case? But telling them, look, I'm going to move on to another law firm, to another lawyer. And guess what? I'm not going to pay any of the time that you've put on my file because you haven't been responsive to me, I think that exerts pressure on the lawyer. And I'm telling you, John, I'm going to get a lot of lawyers who are going to email me and call me and say, what's Sivan, what are you doing? What what are you saying? I'm sick and tired of this, John. I I can tell you that uh, I've seen a lot of people because of this show call me with these kinds of complaints and frustrations. They don't know what to do and it's unfair and it's unprofessional and it shouldn't happen. 416-216-5910 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send uh, uh, Savannah an email during the show? You can or any time at that matter, and that number you should have on you at all times to so give him a call when you need him. It's getting to be that season, isn't it? The Insurance and Injury Law Show continues. Talk radio, AM640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So what should people do if they're concerned that their claim isn't serious and their lawyer's not doing much about it? Got a lazy lawyer. Well, then listen, if, if you really have a concern that your case is very serious, you can't work, you have a concussion, broken bones, whatever, a very serious claim, uh, and, uh, and your lawyer is not doing anything, like I said, give him a hard deadline and then move, leave, right? It's no different than, you know, if you can't get an appointment with a doctor and you have a serious condition, you're going to yeah. move on to a different doctor unless you're living in some rural area where you, there's no other choice. You know, there is a choice of lawyers out there. It's just that simple. There is a choice. Pick up the phone, email whoever. And again, I'm very careful. I don't want to tell people, listen, just call me if you have a lawyer. All I'm saying is that if you really have a serious case and you cannot reach your lawyer, you make sure that you communicate those concerns to that lawyer and that office, but you give them a deadline. And if nothing happens by that deadline or your concerns are not addressed, you have to leave because it's your case. It's your life. 
That's my advice. And it's it's tough because often when this happens, these people they're weak and they're they're injured. They don't have the energy to be looking for lawyers. They just want to get this absolutely. case done with someone who's on the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's no there's no excuse for it. That's my no. point. There is no excuse. And when people contact me about these situations, it's not because they left the lawyer one or two messages. It's because they've been trying to reach the lawyer for months on end. Yeah. And, and every time they call, they get voicemail. And every time they call uh, the assistant, she says he's out of the office. He's yeah. not available. He's Jimmy get, Hoffa. You never find right. the guy again. <laughs> Exactly. He's the ghost. Uh, so, yeah, no, you have to, you ha- listen, it's your case. And if you don't, you do it at your own peril, yeah. right? It's just that simple. So what do uh, what does a person do, he or she, if uh, they're seriously injured, they have no lawyer, and the insurance company is being difficult? Oh, boy. Well, insurance companies are often difficult because, remember, they're playing a game with you, right? especially if you have no lawyer. Now, the game, it's an interesting game because they play one of two games. Either the adjuster will be super nice to you, and try to resolve the claim with you, no. right? Entice you with a little bit of money, open up a checkbook right in front of you and, uh, you know, write something nice, uh, some nice numbers that you may like, especially now the holiday season is coming. Ooh. You have to be very careful. Um, they are right to do that, right? I mean, they're protecting their own interests, but chances are if they're opening up their checkbook or offering to pay you with when you have no representation, chances are you, you got it. You're getting not only lowballed, but significantly lowballed. So be very, very careful at that. Mm-hmm. Now, people out there will say, some people will say, well, Sivan, you know, you're saying this in your own interest. Yeah. Listen, you can listen to me or, or you can just choose to do your own thing. I don't, I don't care no. personally. But I can tell you that I've had enough people call me because they listen to the show after they've signed the settlement papers telling me, look, what do you think? I received $15,000, $20,000, $2,000, only for me to say, well, what about this, this, and that? Yeah. I don't know. I think your claim is worth at least 50000 75000 100000 whatever it. it is. Right? And again, you cannot undo this. You can't say, oh, it was duress. No, duress is when you have a gun to your head. Okay? The courts are not going to undo the settlement. Yeah. So be very careful. So either the insurance company will be super nice to you, right? The adjuster, be your best friend, make sure that they give you what you think you want just to close the file down. And of course, they're going to get their bonus because they just closed this nice case down for peanuts or they're going to be very, very difficult with you. And why are they being difficult with you? Because it's a way of making you... uh, stay back. It's 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 a way to intimidate you, tire you out, tire way. you out. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's it's a war of attrition essentially. So that's also a tactic they use, and sometimes they run out the clock. Remember, you have two years from the date of the accident or the denial of your LTD case to start a claim. If you don't do that within that time, again, there are exceptions to the two-year limitation period, but you do not want to be arguing those exceptions. It means that you're going to have a much harder case to prove. So very, very important, if you're dealing with an insurance company, they're being difficult. Most likely, most likely, it's because they're trying to get you to just back off Mm -hmm. and intimidate you. Now, listen, maybe you just don't have a case, right? And again, it's possible too. Having done a lot of defense work in the past, I can tell you, a lot of claimants think that they have a case, but they don't. If you went to a store and you fell for no reason but that you simply, I don't know, your legs were weak. Mm-hmm. There was nothing on the floor. The floor wasn't wet. There was no, no reason for you to fall except for the fact that you just fell. The store is not responsible, no. right? This is, it, it, we call that strict liability if they were, meaning that, that you don't have to prove negligence. No, we have to establish that you have a case. And sometimes insurance companies will take a hard line position and say, John, I know that you were injured, but we are not at fault here. So therefore, we're not going to pay you. But I'll tell you, John, 
In my experience, most of the time when the insurance companies are being difficult with someone who's not represented, most of the time it's because they're trying to get the person to just give up on a legitimate claim right. from my experience. We'll squeeze in a quick email. We've got about a minute and a half left in this uh, particular segment. Lauren in Newmarket says, I can't work because of a uh, bad foot ulcer. I was just denied long-term disability because I was told that uh, I have diabetes before the accident and that was a pre-existing condition. But I never had an ulcer before. Can we figure? Uh, can we fight this denial? My doctor said I can't work, and it's weighing heavily on my family. Well, this is a. F- I don't know if we're going to have enough time in this segment, John. This is a fascinating uh, uh, question because remember, uh, in these kinds of insurance policies, oftentimes they'll rely on pre-existing conditions and mm-hmm. say, "Well, hold on for a second. You had this condition before. Now that's what's disabling you. No, you have to have a new condition, right? right? But here's the interesting thing. Um, Lauren, I, I can tell you this just because I have members of the family who are in the medical field. Diabetes does not cause ulcers. Right. Okay? It doesn't. It creates an environment in which an ulcer can develop, right? Those are two very different things. So it's very important to understand that the condition that the insurance company is relying on as being pre existing, mm. that's not necessarily the condition that causes the disability. Right, So diabetes here did not cause the disability. The ulcer did, and the ulcer is a new condition. Nice. Now, here's where it gets really interesting for people out there who enjoy the law. Somebody can say to me, okay, well, you know, you're splitting hairs. You're, you're interpreting the policy in a different way than, than what it was intended uh, to mean. Certainly the insurance adjuster will tell me that. But guess what? Here's the way that insurance policies work and contracts in law work. If we have a provision in the policy that excludes coverage, right, pre-existing conditions, and if I can show that there is a different reasonable interpretation that favors my client, right, so we have two different interpretations of the same clause, one favors my client, one favors the insurance company, the law states that the interpretation that favors the individual, not the insurance company, trumps, trumps, right? And this is oftentimes where it is that we find exposure on the insurance company. So the insurance company may really believe, in this case, Lauren, that you have no case. But based on what you've written us, I can tell you, I think you have a case. And maybe you're not going to get 100 cents on the dollar, but maybe I can get you 80 cents on the dollar, right? right? Because as long as I can find the angle and as long as I can show the insurance company that we may be right on the law, you are going to get paid. This is, John, very, very important. I can tell you, having done, again, a lot of defense work in the past, many lawyers who represent individuals who are disabled or injured, they miss these nuances. And these nuances may translate into thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for individuals. That's why it's so important to go to the right person and consult with them, right? So that the the lawyer can really look at all the facts and the law and give you a proper assessment as to what you can get. So Lauren, write this number down, 416-216-5910. And you know the email already for everyone else. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the show coming right up. Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910. That is the number to get a hold of Savannah or his team anytime. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And having you checked out this tool yet, go to injurycalculator.ca. What your pain and suffering could be worth with a couple of key strokes, a little bit of information. It'll give you a dollar amount, and uh, you just may be surprised by that. So check it out again, injurycalculator.ca. So listener heard your show, called or emailed the lawyer to find out about the case, and are being told not to worry, everything's under control. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. How do you even know if that's true? 
You don't, which, right. you, which is why which is why you have to get the lawyer to tell you specifically what is going on with your case. Okay, if you went to a doctor because you're concerned about a medical condition, and the doctor said, "Don't worry about it," I'm not going to tell you what's wrong with you. I'm not going to tell you what treatments you're you fine. need, but just don't worry about it. It's right. okay. You're not going to take that at face value. Okay, you're going to want some specifics. The lawyer should be able to give you those specifics, and and you know, John, it shouldn't take you more uh, than a few minutes, or it shouldn't take a few more minutes of their time for them to do that. Because at the end of the day, there's a certain process for these uh, claims. There's a structure uh, and there are certain steps that have to be taken. And the lawyer can very easily, or their assistant, frankly, can tell you, here's where the claim is at. Here's what's going on. Do you have any specific questions about certain aspects of your claim, such as, can I go back to work? Should I go back to work? Should I get this treatment or not? Again, these are the types of things that the lawyer should easily be able to answer. And if they're evading you or not giving you those responses, there is a problem in my view. So make sure that you get those answers. And if you're not getting them, again, set a deadline or get an appointment with the lawyer face-to-face to ask those questions because they're not difficult questions. Do insurance companies generally take into account the uh, firm or the lawyer that's on the other end of the line? They do. Uh. They do quite a lot. And for the reasons that I've outlined already, I mean, think about it for a second. If you have a lawyer that's known in the industry as being a serious lawyer, someone who doesn't miss a beat, someone who knows the nuances, someone who responds, someone who is reasonable, Mm -hmm. insurance companies like those kinds of lawyers. They understand that those lawyers are on the other side, right? They're playing for the other team, but they want to play with someone on the other team that they can play with. Okay, I'm I'm using the word play in a, a facetious way, but... Very, very important to understand that insurance companies uh, do assess law firms. They understand uh, the the significance of, of of not just the claim, but of, of the process itself as it's being handled by the other lawyer. They want to know that the lawyer on the other side is someone that they can deal with down the road. And, you know, for lawyers in general, I mean, that's something that is, um, you know, that's, it's very important to us. It's about reputation. And even the lawyers at our firm, Lior and I, really stress this. All you have as a lawyer is your reputation, not only amongst your peers, but with third parties like insurance companies, for example. So you want to make sure that you send out the right message. So, for example, in my firm, I can tell you this from having dealt with enough insurance companies and adjusters and mediators and judges who will say, you know, we know that there is a certain reputation that your firm holds. It's a strong reputation. It's a good reputation. And that's, that's good. Why? Because if I'm then representing a client, there is a sense of credibility to the claim. They know that I'm not starting a claim for the sake of the claim. They understand that I'm starting the claim because I do believe that my client has been wronged. Right. And that goes, uh, goes a very long way in increasing the value of the claim when it comes time to settle. 416-216-5910 is the number. If, uh, if a client's already got a lawyer, can they switch to someone else or to you for that matter? They can. Uh, I, I, I'm oftentimes uh, hesitant to just take on someone who has been represented by another law firm or lawyer mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons, not the least of which because there's no reason to make enemies uh, you right. know, unless you really have to. Sure. Uh, but I'll tell you, oftentimes people will call me up and I'll assess their case And I'll conclude to them on the phone or in person, I'll say, listen, your lawyer seems to be doing everything right. I think there's a communication issue here. I don't know why there's a breakdown in communications, but I'm not seeing any red flags. So, you know, think twice before you switch lawyers. And then sometimes, John, I see, 
you know, such malpractice happening that I tell the person, you have to leave. I'm not saying that you have to leave and come to me, but you have to leave because if you don't, you do it at your own peril, your case is going to go down the tubes. Yeah. So yes, people can definitely switch lawyers. Of course, the, the deeper you are into the claims process, uh, the more difficult it is because the previous lawyer has put all this work into it. Yeah. They're not going to simply just relinquish the claim without issuing you a bill. But, you know, oftentimes I'll assess that and I'll give my, my uh, thoughts to the individual and then they can decide what they want to do. So here's a question. You, uh, you know, you're representing someone who was cut off or denied LTD. Uh, how involved are the clients with the claim? In other words, do they do they need to deal with the case every day? Do you need to see them in the office every week? Uh, what can they expect? Absolutely not. Um, so, so first of all, my clients are as involved as they want to be, and we canvass that at the beginning when we first talk. Some clients are very hands-on. They just want to know absolutely everything yeah. about it, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, we'll give them all the updates, absolutely everything. With other individuals, they're not, they don't want that and they don't want that specifically because it elevates their stress levels. Yep. They tell me, Listen, take care of it, tell me when you need me to do certain things. And in those cases, I mean, I can tell you on a normal, regular, long-term disability claim, if I have a client that just asks me to handle everything and I'll update the client along the way, don't get me wrong, it's not like there's radio silence, but I don't involve them heavily until it comes time to talk settlement. I, I can't see in those cases the client putting in more than, I don't know, a couple of hours in total mm. into the claim before it settles. Nice. And, and by a couple hours, I mean, you know, we're going to have to have some discussions. I'm going to have to explain things to it's you. It's not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time at all. Right. But again, if you want to be involved every step of the way, by all means, I'll, I'll send everything to you. My assistant will. The lawyers that work for me will. So, you know, we, we always cater to the individual. Different people like different ways of dealing with a lawyer. We'll take a short break, 416-216-5910. You want to squeeze in an email for the last segment? It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's on Talk Radio, AM 640. The number, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll try to squeeze in an email here in the last few minutes of the show. Blake from London gets a call, says, My sister has a long-term disability case that has been ongoing for almost three years. She hired her lawyer right after she was denied, and after listening to your show several times, I'm trying to understand why her case has gone that long. Any ideas? Absolutely none. Really? No, I, I've never seen a long-term disability case in my office right. that lasted for three years. Generally, they take anywhere from a few weeks, right, just by virtue yep. of a few letters exchanged with the adjuster to resolve, uh, or a few months, or max maybe a year. Okay, Three. but that's that's it's crazy, absolutely crazy. And listen, who knows what's going on here, Blake? I mean, I don't know, but I can tell you again how important it is to choose the right lawyer at the right time. Because if you don't, in this case, it's not you, it's your sister, you could be in for the long haul. And the problem is, John, that the longer it goes, the more out of pocket she's going to be. And remember, we talked about this before, if she's going to be paying tax on the retroactive amounts when there is time for settlement, her tax bill is going to be huge. So again, remember... Uh, choose the right lawyer at the right time. Uh, d- d- don't get mesmerized by the billboards out there and 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 you know all of the, uh, uh, the the marketing that you see anywhere. Do your research when you choose a lawyer. The number to start four one six two one six fifty nine ten. You got emails after the show like now help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't tried the injury calculator, that website uh, that website as well as injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, this has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here, Talk Radio AM six forty.